Thank you very much, Tony. Well, can't just say uh, how good it is to be here with you this evening. It's been lovely to be with you during the day. Uh, my thanks to um, Tony and Francis for their hospitality over the weekend. And uh, thanks to all of you um, for your kind welcome and comments. Uh, it was, it's fate, really, that has sent me to preach here on the day that West Ham, who I support, are playing Fulham, who, of course, Mr. and Mrs. Miles support. I won't tell you the result, because it might upset him. Uh, but uh, I know that had it been a different result, he might have mentioned it. I noticed, I noticed he didn't mention it in his notices today. But, uh, I couldn't resist that, Tony. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's pray together. Lord, it's good to be here. It's your people. And as we open your word tonight, may you speak to our hearts as to what it means to be your people in this place. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I have to say that I think that uh, mobile phones are a bit of a mixed blessing. Uh, they took over from digital cameras, and everybody's got a mobile phone. When I was young, and I went on holiday, I took my brownie camera with me, and I would buy, I'd save up to buy a roll of film. And the roll of film would have 20 exposures, or it would have 36 exposures, and film was expensive, and the cost of developing the film was even more expensive, and thus I would think a lot before I took a photograph. And then I'd return home with a nice set of photos or slides later, which I could show to anyone interested. These days, when we're on holiday, we all fire away on our mobile phones and they give us superb quality pictures. And as a result, we end our holiday with hundreds of pictures. It's even worse at weddings. When Billy and I got married, we couldn't afford an official photographer. So a friend and also a relative both offered to take them. Well, the friend broke up from his fiancée the night before and is in such a state that he ran out of film. The relative took plenty of photos but has never, ever sent them to us. As a result, we've got very few photos of our wedding and what we have got are fading away before our eyes. Well, one good thing about the digital, however, is that... Uh, if you do want to print off some pictures, you can look through them on the screen. You can cut them and crop them and edit them if you want to, and then you can print them out in draft on an old sheet of paper to see what they're going to look like before you go to the expense of using the proper uh, photographic paper and the high-quality ink that costs a fortune on your printer. It often seems to me that the church is very much like a draft printing on ordinary paper. It's a draft of what the people of God should be like. 
So this evening, I want us to look at the people of God, a group of people who are a draft printing of what God would have them be, what God's aiming at. And I want us to look at this wonderful passage of Scripture from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 1 to 10. There's so many themes in this short passage. I want to focus in depth on just four of them. The writer is speaking about the people of God. Who are the people of God? You are the people of God. All of us. And the writer says this. He says, first of all, they're a changed people. Secondly, they're a growing people. Thirdly, there are people whose life is based on Jesus. Fourthly, they are a witnessing people. So let's turn to the first of these ideas. The people of God are a changed people. Verse 1 here. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Paul is saying that if you want to follow Jesus, there's got to be a change in your life. And in fact, when we look at the pages of the New Testament, we discover that it's impossible to be a Christian and not have your life radically changed. St. Paul tells us, if anyone's in Christ, she or he is a new creation. St. Peter tells us that a Christian is born anew to a living hope. The people of God are a changed people because the people of God are a group of people whose individual lives have been changed by the work of God. I think of a dear friend of mine, a guy called Alan Morton. And Alan was in his early 40s when I met him. He was a nice chap. He was married to one of our Sunday school teachers. He was in charge of all the street lighting up on the Yorkshire motorway, the M62. And uh, his, really his hobbies were building planes, model planes, and going to the pub. And he only came to the church if his children were doing something. And on one of these visits to the church, it was an overseas mission anniversary, and he heard a deacon speaking. I'd been chatting to him, it made no impact at all. But a deacon came in, and she spoke. And she'd been in Biafra during the Civil War. And she'd had the bodies dropped down from helicopters for her to bury. They'd been eating rats as something to eat. And she had a remarkable testimony. And that made such an impression on Alan that he turned up at my door and he said, I either need to see a psychiatrist or a minister. I don't know any psychiatrists, so I'll come and see you. And we used to go down the pub, the Stafford Arms, once a week for about six months, and then faith dawned in his life. And what a change there was. Because God had touched him, everything was so different. He became a local preacher. He then went away to Cliff College for a year. He then candidated for the ministry. He then became the superintendent minister eventually of the Blackpool circuit. And very sadly, when he died in his 50s and I took his funeral service, it was a great shout of triumph for what God had done in his life. 
the people of God have each had an individual experience of change in their lives. And because of this individual experience, they come together to form a community that has a dynamic of change. And if you're here this evening and asking yourself whether or not God has ever changed you, I'd respond and say to you that the very fact that you're asking the question might mean that you've never allowed the love of God to really flood your heart and life. See, it doesn't matter whether you come to know God in a moment or over the years. What does matter is whether or not you can point to a change in your life. Can you share with other people what God is doing in your life day by day? You see, we Christians need to show the world the evidence of the faith that we talk about. Yes, we will fail time and again. Yes, we will make our mistakes in our living and our loving. But as time goes by, we discover the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work within us. And in that power and through that power, in time, our defeats grow fewer. Our victories increase. And a real change comes into our lives and we send that change we set that change which God's brought to our lives we set it alongside the changes brought to our fellow Christians lives and we discover we're part of a community of change for a people who know what God can do in their own lives are a people who believe what God might do in his church the people of God are a changed people then secondly, the people of God are a growing people. Biddy and I have had three children, we've now got eight grandchildren. And of course, uh, with Biddy and I, when it came to the birth, I would uh, gladly have shared in the painful bit, but she had to do the lot. When it came to, they were very small. There were things I could do, but there were other things I couldn't do. I couldn't feed them. She was able to feed a young baby her milk. All I could have offered was a pork chop. And that might not have been so much help to a six-month-old baby. And here in the epistle, it seems that Paul is writing to a group of Christians within which there are many recent converts. He tells them here in verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Know and know that you have tasted that the Lord is good. When we read the Bible commentaries on this passage, we discover that Peter calls here pure spiritual milk and means the study of the word and the learning of the faith through the teaching of the elders. These Christians are young in their faith, and they have to feed themselves in the faith in order to grow. And we too have to grow in our Christian lives. I once heard a preacher say, the Christian is always a hungry person 
she or he has had enough but still wants more. And there's great truth in that. No Christian woman or man can ever say, well, I've got my GCEs in the Christian faith, I've got my A-levels, I've got my certificate, I've got my degree, I've got my PhD, now I can stop. You can't do that as a Christian because the Christian wants more and more because there's always more to know, there's always more to learn of the immeasurable riches that God offers to us. The wise old sage of 90 is as much a learner as the teenager converted last week. The people of God are always a growing people, a people growing in their love of God and growing in their love and care for each other. And growing as well in their care for the world in which we live out our Christian discipleship. So there's change, there's growth of two of the hallmarks of the Christian community. We now move to look at the base, the foundation of God's people. The people of God are a people whose life is based on Jesus. And we have that spelt out in verses 4 to 8 here. I'll just read you verse 4 and the start of verse 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. There are many images of God's people, the church, in the New Testament. I think this one in Peter is one of the most powerful. It's that of the house. And Peter says that it's as if we're all separate stones, but we've got a mortar of the love of God. And we put one stone with the next stone, and the mortar of the love of God binds us together into a building, a living building with Jesus at the heart of it. Jesus as the vital part. And the implication of this is that we don't base the running of our church, this church, upon the latest management techniques. We don't base the running of our church on some carefully worked out philosophy of life. We don't run, base the running of our church as a sort of club for do-gooders to come together in. Rather, we base the running of our church upon the pattern of Jesus. And that means that here we aim to create a people where love and acceptance is offered to all who come. Because Jesus offered love and acceptance to all who came to him. And that allows every person to find their place in this living building that we call the church. So it doesn't matter what country we come from or what color our skin is. It doesn't matter whether we're well-read and intelligent or whether we struggle. It doesn't matter whether we vote Labour or Conservative or Liberal Democrat or Green or whatever. It doesn't matter if we're multi-talented or single-talented. Here in this community of love and acceptance, there is a place for each one of us. Here in this community of love and acceptance, we welcome all. In the name of Jesus, who is the one upon whose life and teaching we base the running of a church. 
And the personal implication of this is it matters that we belong. It really matters that we worship week by week that we become members of the church, that we give regularly to church, that we pray regularly to church, that we support the events of the church, that we bring our friends to the church. It really matters. Jesus says we're to be stones. Think of a large stone. Put it in a wall alongside other stones and it's a useful thing. Leave it in the middle of a field on its own. And all that happens is that people will trip over it. Let's make sure that we are living stones, part of a building made up for God. And it does say, notice, not just stones, it says living stones. I remember talking to an evangelist who'd just come back from preaching in a church, an old Anglican church, surrounded by a cemetery. And he said to me that when he'd finished preaching, he wasn't sure whether the church was in the cemetery or the cemetery was in the church. The people seemed so spiritually dead. There was so little life in their worship. If we are living stones in a living building with the living Christ at the center, there should be joy when we come together and fellowship and peace and love all there. So that when people enter into this place, into this space, which is filled with the people of God, they can sense the Spirit of God. Almost as they walk in, they can sense there's something that's different to a theater or a cinema or a pub. Let's respond to the love of God in the quality of our life together. And then fourth, the people of God are a witnessing people. Verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. As God's people, our job is to declare not Tony's job, not Ali's job. It's all our jobs, our job to declare, to tell others of this wonderful God who through Jesus Christ has called us away from our sin and selfishness and pride to a new life of peace and hope and purpose. To tell others that death is not an end, but rather a new beginning. To tell others that society doesn't have to be as it is. But there's a better way of working society where relationships matter and people matter. And we listen to each other. We don't shout to each other across a gap and put each other into boxes. We work at listening to each other and seek to work in the ways of peace and justice. And we tell others that Jesus has come. Jesus has come to step in our shoes, to walk in our world, to share in our broken humanity, to teach and to show what true human love is, to stamp the seal of that love with his suffering and death. Of course, more than anything else, we declare, we tell other people that Jesus is alive. 
that he's risen from the dead and that one day he will draw history to a close and we will all see him. When we get hold of this, when we begin to grasp how much he loves us and what his love can do, what else can we do but to share that love, to share that message with others? We don't witness because we're told to, although we are told to. We don't witness because it makes sense for us to grow in numbers, although it's great when we do grow in numbers. We witness because the love of God fills our hearts and because Jesus means so much to us that the fire of the Spirit burns so strongly within us that we can't do anything else but tell people that God loves them. We are a witnessing people. A changed people, a growing people, a people with Jesus as our foundation stone, a witnessing people. I finish, however, with verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Most important of all, we are God's people. A people who have received his mercy. So as we think about these signs of the church, let me finish by just going through them. Let me make it very personal and ask each of you this evening, do you know that God has changed your life or rather deep down, do you know that you're just praying, playing at Christianity? Here week by week, never allowing God to change you. Well, it can all change when you decide it can change. It could all change this evening if you want it to. You can be one of God's changed people if you ask Jesus to take control of your life. Or perhaps you're a Christian, but you know that you're not growing. Your Christian life is stagnant and still. And perhaps you know, if you were here this morning when I was talking about pressing on in the faith, you know that you've not been pressing on and you need to get back to pressing on in the faith. So I'd say to you, start moving this week. Start praying again this week. Start reading your Bible this week. Join that Bible study group this week. Make some, God, make some space for God in your heart. You can be one of God's growing people. Is Jesus the foundation stone of your life or is it something else? Something good perhaps. Family, work, music, hobby, church. But not the one thing that you need to order your life by. Jesus at the very heart of your being. You can be part of a people based on the foundation stone of Jesus Christ. And what about witness? Do the family see you living out your Christian life? Or do they see one person here at church and a different person at home? Do your friends at work know that you stand for Jesus, that you live by God's standards? Or do you keep quiet in case they think you're an odd ball? Why not get your life in line 
with your faith. Decide you're going to speak a word for him this week in one place or another. You can be one of his witnessing people. So will you let God change you? Will you let the Spirit help you grow in your faith? Will you allow Jesus to be your foundation stone? Will you tell others the good news of Jesus? I pray that you will. I know you will. For if you do that, and I do that, and others do it, we are bound together as God's people. And there can be no greater privilege than to be a member of the people of God. Thanks be to God for his word to us.